Well, I'd like to uh, start by <coughs> sharing a story with you. Okay? Uh, here goes. A young boy was questioned about what he'd learnt in Sunday school. Well, Mum, he said, the teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission. He responded to a text message by taking a group of fearless SAS soldiers into Egypt and bringing the people of Israel out by means of the pontoon bridge they had quickly erected over the Red Sea. Looking a little confused, his mother replied, Oh, come on, Jamie, you're pulling my leg. She didn't really say that, did she? Well, no, Mum, he smiled, but... If I told you what she really said, you'd never believe it. So the Exodus story and the crossing of the Red Sea must be one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's a story that you have heard since you first went to Sunday school, since you first read that children's Bible. It's the story that's recorded in films, and it's a story that we have uh, recounted time and time again. That miraculous crossing of the Red Sea as God pushes back the waters and enables the people to escape. God's rescue mission for a whole nation of people. And it's recounted in Exodus uh, in the Bible. We're going to read uh, today from chapter 5 of Exodus, uh, which is just before the crossing of the Red Sea, in fact. Uh, but before we read that, I want to remind you of the story so far. Some of you won't have been here in previous weeks, uh, and so here's a little bit of revision. God's people, Israel, are trapped in slavery in Egypt. They call out to God for help, and God chooses Moses to be the man who will set my people free. Moses, you'll recall, is the adopted son of an Egyptian princess. He has been born a Hebrew, but he's been brought up in Pharaoh's court. And as we've seen in previous weeks, Moses was a man of destiny. God's hand was on his life. God had chosen him, God had called him, God had commissioned him and equipped him for this extraordinary task of returning to Egypt, which was the, the land of his birth, confronting the Pharaoh and rescuing the people. And in chapter 4, we saw how God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, promised to be with him, promised to use him and Despite his past, despite his fears, despite his excuses and his reluctance. Here's a man who's, who's full of excuses, full of reasons why he can't possibly be the person to be sent on this res rescue mission. But God calls him and promises to be with him. And I find that story wonderfully reassuring. We can all relate to Moses' reactions and his excuses. Think about it. We've all got a past, just like Moses had a past. We all have fears, 
just as Moses had fears. We all make excuses when God calls us by name. We say, oh God, you, you must have got it wrong. Oh, I'm no good. I'm, I'm just not up to this. You, you, you must have forgotten just how bad I've been. What a mess I've made of my life so far. You can't possibly use me. And the truth is, he turns our weaknesses into his opportunities so that the glory goes to him. That's how the song goes. He turns our weaknesses, your weaknesses, my weaknesses, into his opportunities so that the glory goes to him. So we've got an inspiring Bible story here. Prepare to be inspired, not by my preaching, but by God's word, by this story. Uh, because God can speak to each one of us personally through Exodus. And so we've got to the end of Exodus chapter 4. Uh, in that chapter, God starts to put his rescue plan into action. God sends Moses to confront, confront Pharaoh and to tell the Israelites that he's going to liberate them. God prepares Moses by giving him signs and wonders which will convince both the fellow Israelites and Pharaoh of God's authority and power. And God provides for him by giving him his brother Aaron as his right-hand man and spokesman. And most importantly, God reveals himself as Yahweh, as I am, as God in the present tense. God who acts on behalf of his people. So we've called this talk this morning, Resistance, and subtitled it, When the Going Gets Tough. So hopefully many of us can relate to that because we've all had times when the going gets tough, when we're up against it, just as Moses found himself. And we're going to pick up the story this morning in chapter 4 and verse 27. So towards the end of chapter 4 of Exodus, um, you might like to follow this um, in your Bible. So we're going to read from verse 27 of chapter 4 and then we're going to read chapter 5. <coughs> The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told his brother Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, 
or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labour? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today, as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman realised they were in trouble when they were told you were not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You've made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. I've got four C's this morning. For those of you who are taking notes or want a, a little aid memoir, okay? So it's context, call, covenant and choice. Number one, the context. God's got plans. Throughout the Exodus, it'll be important for Moses to remember that God's hand is on his life that God is going into action on behalf of his people. This is God's rescue plan, and he is the God who keeps his promises. We've just read how Moses arrives back in Egypt with Aaron, and they call together the Israelite elders. And as these men see the miracles that God has given Moses, and hear what God has said to Moses, they have no doubt that God has remembered his covenant and will rescue them from Egypt. God's got plans. So far, so good as far as Moses is concerned. 
Everything seems to be going well. This seems promising. And at the end of chapter 4, we read that the elders of Israel (coughs) believed. They bowed down and they worshipped. Things seem to be going well so far. But when Moses and Aaron have an audience with Pharaoh and make a request of this tyrannical ruler, his reaction is to impose even harsher working conditions on his slave nation. Make them work harder, he orders. And before long, the Israelites are complaining bitterly to Moses and Aaron. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh. Instead of welcoming Moses' intervention, the people start criticising him and and attacking him. You've made us stink, is effectively what they're saying. Um, Imagine you're a a leader and, and the people come to you and say, you have made us stink. It's, it's hardly the most sort of encouraging and affirming um, thing to say to the, the man who is offering to rescue you, to liberate you. Things are not going at all well for Moses. It feels like God is absent rather than present. And Moses feels a bit of a failure. And in his desperation, he turns to the Lord Why, Lord? What is going on here? This is not what I expected. What about your rescue plans? The rescue of the people from slavery and the journey to the promised land is a wonderful picture of God's universal rescue plan. And that plan was put into place as Jesus came into this world. God sent his son Jesus to deliver us from slavery, from slavery to sin, and to bring us into his kingdom. I want to read a verse to you from the book, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. This is Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. Listen to this. God's secret plan has now been revealed to us. It's a plan centred on Christ, designed long ago according to his good pleasure. And this is God's plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. When there's resistance, when the going gets tough, let's remember it's his master plan. It's not ours. This is God's plan. And also, let's remember that we've got a part to play in that plan. That's the context. God has got plans. Secondly, the call. The call. God says, you're the one. Yes, you. God calls (coughs) Moses in the most clear and unforgettable way. He says to Moses, you're the one, I can use you. I'll take you as you are, with your guilty secrets, with your shame, with your fear, and with your doubts, and I'll transform you 
into someone who will do great things for me. God calls Moses. That burning bush encounter would remain with Moses throughout the most testing times. He would always, always remember that God had met with him. God had spoken to him, God had called him, God had commissioned him. And in the next chapter we, we will see that the Israelites ignore Moses, Pharaoh ignores Moses, things go from bad to worse, but God reminds Moses of his call and the promise over his life. God says to him, I will show my mighty strength through you. I will speak powerfully and incisively on every occasion, Moses. That's guaranteed. I'm going to use you. I'm going to speak through you. My rescue plan will succeed. You're the one. Never forget that. And I believe that God wants to remind you and me today of his call on our lives. That's every one of us. Last Sunday, Aid retold the story of two people who had an encounter with Jesus on the Emmaus Road. Now, for those of you who weren't totally distracted by the ducklings that were at the front, um, there was also a message about the meeting of Jesus with two people on the Emmaus Road. And you'll remember that story, how their, their hearts were wonderfully warmed within them as they met Jesus, as they had this encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. We've been asking a, a few people recently to tell us their stories of how they met with Jesus. And you may well have a story of meeting with Jesus. You may have simply had a, an experience of his presence. You may have prayed a prayer, may, may have prayed a prayer inviting him into your life. Uh, the fact is, if you've put your trust in him, if Jesus has rescued you, then he's already started to transform your life. However awesome that meeting with Jesus has been, however significant it's been, whether it's just been a casual encounter, whether it's been something that's blown you away, if you have met with Jesus, if you've had an encounter with him, he's already starting to transform your life, to make a difference. And he's got work for you to do. Like Moses, you may have all sorts of excuses, some of them quite plausible, but God has called you, he's chosen you, and he's given you a unique combination of experience and abilities. I want to repeat that because it's really important. Whoever you are, if God has called you, he can use you with your unique combination of experience and abilities. If you're thinking, well, no, not me, Listen to this. The Bible says that you are God's masterpiece. You are God's work of art. No, 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 not me, not me. No, the next person, but not me. Yes, God says you are God's masterpiece. 
Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That is how God thinks of you. He thinks of you as his masterpiece, as his work of art, as his pièce de résistance. Yes, he does. And he loves to use your experience, good or bad, your abilities. He's able to do infinitely more than we can expect or even imagine with your life and with my life. Isn't that exciting? I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. I just want to give you a personal illustration. Most of you, you will know that I was pastor of this church for 15 years. And when God called me very clearly uh, in January 2000 to lead this church, he took all my years of experience, not as a minister, not as a theologian, not as a, uh, a, a trained pastor, but he took my years of experience as a youth and community worker and as a drama teacher and used it for his purposes. I'd spent all my working life to that time looking after people and leading teams and teaching and taking responsibility for, for groups and for projects. And in calling me to that church leadership role, God was recycling all of that in the most creative way. And I, I was just blown away by what God could do in my life. And similarly, when he called me uh, to work with Christians Against Poverty a couple of years ago, he wasn't choosing me because he, he looked at me and said, wow, that man has such a, a strong financial acumen, you know, he has a great ability with facts and figures, no, he was looking at me and he knew that I loved to get out into the community, to meet people, to support them, and to share my faith in Jesus. God can use us exactly as we are and make wonderful things out of our lives to date. He can use our unique combination of experience and abilities. God may never make any one of us as famous as Moses, but he has a call and a destiny for each one of us. I love that verse in Romans 8. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God uses exactly who we are. If we love him, if we've been called by him, he in works and works through all that we are and all that we've been to enable us to serve him and to live for him. And if you've still got doubts and fears and uncertainty, here's another great promise. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. God who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Okay? He is faithful. 
So there's the context. God's got plans. There's the call. You are the one. Yes, you. Thirdly, the covenant. God says, I am the Lord and I will do it. Going back to Moses, the extraordinary rescue plan that God has for his people is to be executed by a reluctant man who had jumped the gun many years before and had spent half a lifetime in exile in the back of beyond. God did not see in Moses uh, a man with exceptional leadership skills. He didn't see a skilled negotiator. He didn't see someone who uh, had great experience as a strategist. None of those things. The rescue plan would only succeed because of God's faithfulness to his covenant. God had promised Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was the promise that had been spoken over Abraham many, many years before. That covenant had been repeated to Abraham's son and to Abraham's grandson, and now to Moses and to the whole nation. So when Moses calls out to God in his desperation, Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you've sent me? God reminds Moses of his promises. They're found in Exodus 6, and we're going to be looking at those next week. God's promises are signed and sealed with these words. I am the Lord. That declaration frames God's covenant. Literally, <laughs> I am, I am. It's with his name, Yahweh, I am who I am, that God guarantees his covenant. This is the name by which God revealed himself to Moses, the God who is always present. And for centuries, the Israelites had thought of their God as a God of the past, who had once spoken to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Or they thought of him as a God of the future, who would one day keep his covenant promises and bring them into the promised land. But Moses is told to tell the people that God is I am, the God of their present. Jesus applied the I am name to himself. And in so doing, he claimed to be one with the Father. He claimed to be I am one with the Father. And the religious leaders understood exactly what he was saying. They were so outraged that they picked up stones to stone Jesus for blasphemy. In Jesus, God, the great I am, came to be present with you and me in a new and unique way. And just as I am rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, 
Jesus rescues you and me from the slavery of sin. Only in and through Jesus can we know new life and forgiveness and freedom. We are people of the new covenant. And it's through Jesus that we can receive that promised gift of new life. There's the context, there's the call, there's the covenant, and fourthly, finally, the choice. Choose life. If you read on in Exodus, you'll discover that Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses is a man who obeys God. He responds to God's call. He does what God asks him to do. And he achieves the most extraordinary things for God. Moses had a choice. He could have said no. He could have said no to God and he would have lived out the rest of his life tending sheep in the desert. He didn't have to say yes when God called him. If he'd said no, his life would have just carried on as before, as it had for the previous 40 years, just looking after sheep in the desert. By saying yes, by responding to God, by saying yes to that call on his life, he entered into a covenant relationship with God. And he knew the reality of God's constant presence and transforming power. Fast forward to the end of his life. Moses, aged 120, is exhorting the people of Israel with these words. This is Deuteronomy 31, <coughs> verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That is God's promise to us. It's God's promise to all who choose to follow him. It's God's promise to all who choose to make Jesus their saviour and their king. He says to us today, and this is a quote from Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, he says to us today, Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. In a moment we're going to pray and we're going to pray that each one of us here this morning will choose life. We'll choose to follow Jesus. We'll choose to make Jesus Saviour and Lord of our lives. That is a choice. Jesus doesn't impose himself on us. He doesn't force his way into our lives. He gives us that choice. But it's a choice that will transform our lives. 
Before we pray, I want to give you a quote from the writer A.N. Wilson. He's written a number of articles describing his return to faith uh, and, and why he believes again. And this is the quote. He's, he's looked at lots of valid arguments for believing the Easter story and he suggests in this piece of writing that one of the most powerful reasons for accepting the truth of the Easter story is this. It is, quote, the way that Christian faith transforms individual lives. The lives of the men and women with whom you mingle on a daily basis. The man, woman or child next to you in church on Sunday morning. Better just check to see who's sitting next to you this morning. Okay. It is highly likely that God has started to transform the life of the person sitting next to you in this, this morning. We believe in a God who transforms lives. He doesn't leave us where we are. Amen. He doesn't just want to give us some sort yeah. of mental assent to the, the reality of God's existence. He wants to give us a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the offer on board this morning. We already have one preach this morning from Barry. Preach it, Barry. Okay? A gift. A gift that God offers us. His son, Jesus Christ. It's on offer. Will you say yes or no? Or will you rather win the lottery? Well, let God, the giver of life, transform your life today. If you want to choose life, can I invite you to stand with me as we pray? Okay, let's make our response to our living, loving Lord. Thank you, Father God, that you never force your way into our lives. You say, choose today whom you will serve. And you invite each one of us, standing here in your presence, to choose life. And my prayer this morning is that each one of us will choose to follow you, choose to obey you, choose to love you. Thank you then that when the going gets tough, we can be confident that you have plans for our lives, that you have called us, and that you have covenanted to do a work of transformation in our lives, and you have promised to be with us forever. Thank you, Father God, that you are the God who is always present. I am. Jesus, thank you that you have rescued us. You have forgiven us. You have set us free. Help us all to know that you've got great things in store for each of us. 
Help us today to choose life. For the Lord is our life. Amen. And uh, if you want to be sure of your faith, if you'd like to say yes to Jesus today, uh, I'd like to invite you to make this your prayer uh, today. I'm going to speak out these words. Uh, they're taken from uh, the booklet that we give um, to people when we visit them uh, with Christians against poverty. Uh, it's a great prayer. And it's, a, it's an offer, that offer of rest and love and freedom and peace and forgiveness that Jesus is offering each one of us. I'll speak out these words and you can just echo them in your heart. Dear Father God, I believe Jesus was the Son of God. I believe that he died in my place so that I could be forgiven and so that I could have a relationship with you. I believe he conquered death and rose again three days after he died on the cross. That's what I believe. Jesus, I want to accept the gift that you give me. I ask that you would forgive me. And you might just quietly like to recall a few things that are on your mind. Things that you must ask forgiveness for. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my life and I give you control. I declare that you are Lord. I ask you today to give me the Holy Spirit who you promise will help me to live the life that is best for me, a life that is pleasing to you. Help me to begin to love you with all my heart, soul, strength and mind, and to love those around me. Amen. Amen. Amen.